to be different. Being different means letting God transform every area of your life. Are you ready to be different? Many of us had to slow down this past week, didn't we? Schedules were altered, meetings were postponed, school was canceled because of the weather and road conditions. And some of us had to literally slow down. We had to slow down walking to the mailbox to check the mail, right, on that slippery driveway, or slow down driving down the street with a little bit of slush and ice on it. Early Thursday morning, I had coffee with a friend, and so I got out and I started driving, and I realized very quickly that I couldn't drive over about 20 miles an hour to get to the coffee shop. And so I was very careful. I had to literally slow down. And then when I was leaving there, I noticed as I came over the hill, there were a couple of police cars helping this driver whose car had slid off the road into the ditch into some trees. I mean, there was significant damage done to this car. And it reminded me that we must slow down. And if we don't slow down, we may end up in a ditch or even worse. But most of us are not wired to slow down, are we? Not at all. We have established hectic routines and hurried paces that cause days to blend into each other and then merge into weeks that blend into each other that all become this blur of time that we will never get back. Someone has said it, and I think it's true. We suffer from an epidemic of busyness and distraction. Just look around. Look around at the pace of life that most people live. But we don't have to look at others. We can look at our own lives. And here's the difficult part. It's socially acceptable. In fact, it is validated and affirmed and rewarded. When someone says, hey, how you doing? How do you answer that question? How many times do we say, good, just really busy, right? The kids got a lot of activities. We're going here, there, everywhere. Things are crazy at work right now. Got a lot going on. You see, busy bragging has become a symbol of social status and importance. We think the busier we are, the more important we are. I want you to remember the passage that was on the screen just a moment ago. It's kind of the foundational passage for this series, Be Different. Romans 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't let the world shape you into its image. Don't let the world compress you into its mold, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to think about your schedule, your daily life, the rhythms of your life, the routines of your life. Is there a chance that this is one of those areas where, if you're honest, there is more conforming than there is transforming? God calls us to be different which means we need to consider a different pace of life to build reflection and rest and renewal into our rhythms of life, to pause, to spend time with God, to remove some of the many distractions and refocus our hearts and our minds and our lives on what is most important. Because here's the truth, your pace of life reveals your priorities in life. There is no way around it. What you do every day, where you put your time and energy, your personal resources, even your money, they all speak to what is most important to you. 
If you look at my schedule, well, really, you should probably look at how I actually spend time, not my schedule, because we don't always follow our schedules, do we? But if I look at your schedule or how you spend time, and you look at my schedule and how I spend time, and I look at your finances and you look at mine, you know what we're going to know about each other? What's important to each other, what we value. Jesus said, where your heart is, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think we could tweak that just a bit. Where your treasure is, there your time will be also. Where your treasure is, there your energy will be also. Where your treasure is, there your money will be also. But Jesus models a different way. Jesus shows us what it's like to have margin. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 today. If you have a Bible, open up there so you can follow along. We're going to have some of the scriptures on the screen. Sometimes it's helpful to have it right in front of you so you can see how it all fits together. Luke chapter 5, Jesus shows us what it looks like to have a different pace of life, to have margin. Starting in verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So Jesus heals this man who has this deadly skin disorder. People heard about it, and they began to flock to Jesus. They're curious. They have needs themselves. You see, miracle workers draw crowds. People were hurting. They were helpless. They were in need, they were curious, they were broken, they were sick, they were dying, and they all went to Jesus. And those are the very people that Jesus said he came to serve. The crowds swarmed Jesus because of what they could receive from Jesus. And then Luke continues in chapter 5 with another healing story with Jesus as the source, of course. This time it wasn't a skin condition, it was a crippling paralysis. This man could not walk he couldn't get to Jesus, so he either recruited friends or passers-by to help him. They carried his pallet with him on it to Jesus. Jesus was in a house. We already know that crowds were gathering around Jesus. They couldn't get the man into the house, and so if you know this story, you know what they did next. They climbed on top of the house. They dug a hole through the thatch, lowered the man through the roof into the room where Jesus was so that Jesus could see this man. And what did Jesus do? Jesus did what he came to do. He provided healing. He provided forgiveness. The Pharisees, the religious leaders who were observing this, they were trying to wrap their minds around this. They couldn't refute the first part. This man was healed. He got up and walked. But this idea of forgiving sins, that to them sounded like blasphemy. Only God has the power and the authority to forgive sins. Who are you to say that you can forgive sins? And this is the first time in Luke's gospel that we see opposition against Jesus begin to build. So that's the scene. That's the picture Luke is painting. Jesus healing people, crowds flocking to Jesus, 
and opposition beginning to build against Jesus. In the middle of it all, bridging the gap between these two healing stories is one little sentence, one brief detail, an often overlooked thought. Something that we probably normally see is just a single brushstroke in the picture that Luke is painting of Jesus. But here it is, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I feel like we should pause for a moment. It fits the reading. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. As the crowds gathered, as the needs Increased as the itinerary got fuller and fuller, as demands on his time and his energy grew, what did Jesus do? He withdrew to lonely place. Not lonely in the sense of, I wish someone was here, lonely in the sense of secluded and separate. And he did that to spend time with his heavenly Father. With intentionality, Jesus extracted himself from the masses and the movement of the world around him to be with God. Between times of pouring out, which is what Jesus came to do, Philippians 2 empties himself, between times of pouring out, Jesus set aside time to be filled up. Now consider the importance of what Jesus was doing. What was the work of Jesus? Was it important? Absolutely. Jesus was revealing the true nature of God's kingdom on earth. Jesus was healing the sick. He was teaching. He was embodying and sharing the good news of God's kingdom. And yet Jesus, as important as his work was and is, saw the need to slow down, to remove himself, to spend time with God. Now, if Jesus could take the time to stop and to pray, shouldn't you? Is what you are doing every day so extremely important that you can't pause, that you can't stop, that you can't extract yourself to the lonely places and spend time with God? See, the truth is, it's not so much the important things that take us away from God or that keep us from pausing. It's the unimportant things It's the distractions. And most of those distractions, if we are truly honest, stare at us from the glare of the other side of a screen, don't they? I read recently that the average American spends about six and a half hours a day watching TV and streaming services, playing video games, and on social media. Six and a half hours a day. You might say, that's not me. I only spend six hours a day on that. You know, what's amazing is I know many of us don't spend that much time, and that's the average. That means many people spend much longer than that with their face stuck on a screen. That may or may not be the case for you, but one thing is clear. We are busy and we are distracted. Would you agree? So would you consider a different pace. Would you pause this morning and take a good, honest look at your life, at the routines and the rhythms of your life? 
And rather than jumping into the cultural current that is raging downstream all around you, will you have the faith to consider stepping out? Will you be different? Of course, in the beginning, rest and renewal was not different from the norm. It was the norm, modeled in creation. Go all the way back to Genesis Genesis chapter 2, as God is creating this universe, we read this in verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, set it apart. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You know, I've I've heard that verse before, I've read it before, and I've often thought, why does a perfect and an all-powerful God need to rest? Was speaking the universe into creation so tiring that he needed a nap? Did it take so much creative energy and imagination to come up with the aardvark and the ostrich and the hippo that that God needed to take a break? Was it the intricate nature of creating the biology and the anatomy of the human body and mind that exhausted God? You know, if you look back, the Hebrew word there for rest or rested is the Hebrew word sabbat. And that word literally means to stop. After God finished creation, he stopped. And he marked the significance of what he had just created by pausing and reflecting. He rested. But not only was stopping to reflect modeled by God at creation, it was woven into the fabric of communal life for God's people. That word sabbat, you you know the word that comes from that, Sabbath. It was a special day for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, a day set apart, a day made holy, a day when all worked stopped. We read it just a few moments ago. It is the fourth of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, your male, your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. You see, God's design and God's desire have always been to build rest and renewal and reflection into the rhythm of life. He wants us to stop. But the world has a different message. The world has a different purpose, doesn't it? The world says time is money. The world says we got to keep working, working, working. The world says, hey, don't make me late. Let's go. The world puts us in a hurry. We need to rush. We have things to do. People to see. Places to go. To stop is to be different. To practice Sabbath is to step out of the raging current of the world and just let it go by without you. And that's tough, isn't it? Because when you let it go by, you're thinking, everyone at work is getting ahead of me. People are getting things done that I'm not getting done. Deadlines are stacking up. I have work to do. This is making me stressed out. It's so hard to step out of the current and let it go. Now, as New Testament Christians, we obviously are not under the law of Moses, which means we aren't commanded to observe the Sabbath day. 
It's a good thing, huh? Because we dropped that ball a long time ago. (laughs) And some would argue, actually, that Sabbath transcends the law of Moses because it precedes the law of Moses. Remember, we already looked at it in Genesis 2. At creation, God institutes the Sabbath. He talks about the Sabbath. Either way, even if it's not commanded for followers of Jesus, practicing the principle of Sabbath is so necessary, especially in our world today. In his book, which I highly recommend, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, by John Mark Comer, he quotes his mentor, John Ortberg, in this intriguing quote about what it means to live in this secular world. He says this, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim over our lives instead of actually living them. It is that last sentence that continues to haunt me. We will just skim over our lives rather than actually living them. Do you ever feel like you're just on the surface all the time? Your conversations, your activities, your interactions with others, they're just sort of broad and on the surface. And there's never really those deep moments those reflection moments when you're talking and thinking and meditate on the things that matter most are you just skimming your life or are you living it Luke tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray and in his gospel he gives us examples of Jesus doing that on at least one occasion praying all night long You see, Jesus maintained a different pace from the world around him. Now, was he busy doing good things? Yes. He accomplished a lot. He was busy. He was doing good things. But he was very deliberate about establishing a pace that kept him connected to God. And so this morning, I want this to be very practical because if you're like me, this is something you know is important, but it's just kind of hard to find some handles onto it. How do I incorporate this into my life? What does that look like? What does it mean? And why do I need to do this? So let me just share with you three or four things, practical things, that I think considering a different pace will help us do. And first of all, it will help us reconnect with God. Sabbath was not just a warning to God's people to slow down. Remember what the word means? It was a stop sign. It was, it was time to stop. And why did they need to stop? The same reason we need to stop. So we can see God. So we can encounter God. So we can be jolted out of our routines that often become ruts that take us away from God. Our gatherings like this, our communion time together, our classes, so many things that we do here as a community of faith, those enable us to encounter God, hopefully, to see God, to hear God, but that's not enough. Like Jesus, we need to withdraw to the lonely places and spend one-on-one time with God. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Someone once said, and I think it's so interesting and a good way to say it, they said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. I think there's some truth to that. Frantic activity 
even good activity, tends to shift our focus away from God. Jesus withdrew from the crowds so he could reconnect with God. We need to do the same thing. What does that mean? That means spending time like Jesus did in prayer. Stopping to pray. You don't necessarily have to pray all night, although probably that's needed sometimes. But are you praying throughout the day? Like slowing down and praying. How many times do you find yourself, if you're like me, you're about to eat and you say a quick prayer because it's just sort of what you do. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But do you pause? Do you stop and pray? Do you spend time in God's word? We claim to be people of the book. That means we need to spend time in the book. We need to read and reflect and meditate on the word of God. That's where our souls are renewed. That's where our minds are renewed. Do you remember Romans 12 too? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? Well, one of the places that happens is with the spirit of God speaking through the word of God into your heart and your life and your mind. J.J. Packer said this, live slowly enough to think deeply about God. Let me say that again. Live slowly enough to think deeply about God. I don't necessarily agree with everything he writes, but I certainly agree with that, and that is a challenge, to live slowly enough to think deeply about God. And so a different pace can help you reconnect with God. Secondly, a different pace can restore your mind, your body, your soul. That word restore, it's built around what root word? Rest. We need rest. We need spiritual rest. We need intellectual rest. We need physical rest. We need emotional rest. We need social rest. Even you extroverts out there, those of you who are energized by being around people and small talk and all of that, even you need rest. Even you need social rest. Remember Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest is a theme throughout Scripture. It is the present invitation of Jesus for us to find rest in him, and it is our future reality as we will enter that rest one day. Jesus says, let go of whatever is weighing you down and give it to me. Whatever is distracting you, whatever is a burden, give it to me and find rest in him. John Tyson, whose work guided some of the thoughts in this sermon and really for this series, makes an interesting observation about a passage in Exodus chapter 31. God is telling Moses to tell the people about the Sabbath and how important the Sabbath is. And here's what God says, Exodus 31, verse 17. The Sabbath will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, and look at the rest of that, and was refreshed. God says, I was refreshed. What an interesting word. That word means to breathe, to exhale to catch your breath. Sometimes we need to catch our breath. What, what if all of a sudden you just stood up 
and started running to the door. And when you hit the door, you just kept running to the outside door. And then once you hit that door, you just kept running and you ran down the street. Well, first of all, we all might be a little concerned, especially if you're not a runner. We would look to see what's chasing you or look to see if the aliens had taken over your body or Chinese spy balloon was controlling you or something, I don't know. Is that too soon? We probably can't go there yet, right? We would be concerned about you if you just took off running, but I can tell you this, if you ran, and no matter how good a shape that you're in, all of us, each and every one of us, if we ran, there would be a point in time where we would be out of breath. And at some point, and for some of y'all, it'd be way down the road. For others of us, it'd be pretty, pretty close here. But at some point, you would need to stop and do what? Catch your breath. That's what that word means, refreshed. To catch your breath, to exhale. Now let's be clear. When we talk about a different pace, we're not talking about being lazy. We're not talking about being a poor manager of time. We're talking about being very deliberate and intentional about replacing a hectic, hurried pace of life with a sacred rhythm of life that causes you to encounter God, to be refreshed, to find rest. Third, a different pace will help you remember your true identity. And that is so important because we so often forget who we are. When we conform to the cultural current, we are susceptible to the distortion of our own identity who we are and what we're all about. We begin to let the world around us define us or those voices in our head define us or what other people think of us define us. We begin to think we are what we do because we spend so much time doing it. We are what we produce. We are what we accomplish. Like the impressionable shores of the sides of a river, sooner or later the constant flow of the current is going to carve us into its own image. Remember in our text in Luke chapter five, Jesus was starting to face some opposition really for the first time, at least in Luke's gospel. And sometimes when we get pushback, when we face opposition, it's in those moments that we often compromise who we are and what we're about. And maybe just a part of what Jesus was doing when he extracted himself from the flow of the culture and spent time with God was just to be reminded by God who he truly was, how his father saw him, my son. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. How his father saw him and what his life was all about. Isn't that what happened at Gethsemane when Jesus went there to pray and then left with that sense of resolve? I know who I am. I know what I'm about. I know where I'm going. Maybe this is what you need to hear more than anything else this morning. You are not what you do. As important or good or worthwhile as your job or career or vocation or what you do every day, even as a mom or a dad or a grandparent, as important as that is, you are not what you do. You are certainly not what you accomplish. You are not what you produce. You are not what other people think you are. See, your worth and your value do not rise and fall with what you produce and what you do and what others think. Your identity, your value, and your worth 
come from being a precious child of God, an image bearer of the Most High, a son or daughter of the King of all kings. That's who you are. Sometimes we forget that because we're running a race that is not the race. We need to stop. We need to spend time with God. See God. Listen to God. Let him tell us who we are. Let him tell us what our life is all about. Build into your rhythm of life opportunities to do that. And finally, a different pace can help you revel in the goodness of God. Revel, that's a good word. When's the last time you said the word revel? It probably did not have a good connotation. (laughs) Most of the times we think about reveling, we think about things that aren't good. But that's a good word. It's one question to say, how long has it been since you said that word? How long has it been since you've actually reveled in the goodness of God? Part of the Sabbath for the Jewish people was a time of celebration, a time to eat good food, to be with good people, and to celebrate the provision of God. And they had lots to celebrate, didn't they? God had delivered them. He was with them. He protected them. He provided for them. We have much to celebrate. We need to stop and revel in the goodness of God. As the psalmist said in Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Let me ask you, are you ever present enough in the moment and mindful enough to taste the goodness of God in a meal? Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Are you present enough and mindful enough to see the beauty of God in nature, in art, in music? What about in what you read or the people that you meet or the friends and the family that you enjoy being with? What are the life-giving activities and events and people that remind you that God is the giver of good gifts? And whatever those things and people are, I would encourage you to be there, to make time for those people in those things. And in those moments and with those people, use that as an opportunity to worship and praise God because he is providing good things, blessings. So praise him for those things. Celebrating the good things in this world is certainly a transformative move. We're talking about making transformative moves. It's so much easier just to jump on the bandwagon of negativity and despair, isn't it? It's so easy to get together in groups and talk about how the world is going down the tubes and the government and the, and the country and, and you know everything. Just list them all. Is there darkness in this world? Is there despair? Absolutely. Is there difficult things? Are things not as we hoped they would be or should be? Absolutely. And that's all the more reason to make it a priority to revel in what is good in creation and the good gifts from God. If your current pace of life is keeping you from tasting and seeing that God is good, then maybe you need to make some changes. Let me encourage you to set a different pace for your life. Will you consider practicing some form of Sabbath? And again, 
that's probably going to look different for all of us. Maybe it's not one whole day. Maybe that's just not feasible. It's not reasonable. But maybe it's moments of Sabbath that you build into your week or your day. Maybe it's just being more intentional with how you spend your time and your energy. Maybe it's setting that phone down, removing some of those distractions. Maybe it's saying no. Even no to good things and to good people, but saying no. Protecting that time with God. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to spend time with God. It's not that God wasn't in all the other places where the crowds were and the healings were, even in the midst of the opposition against Jesus. But Jesus knew he needed to stop. He knew he needed to spend time with his heavenly Father. What about you? I must confess, this is an area where I struggle. There are many days when I go through the day and somehow miss seeing God because I'm busy doing the work of God. Sounds strange, right? How can you be doing God's work and miss God? It happens. It happens when you just keep running from one healing story to the next, when you're trying to stay in front of the crowds, when you're trying to contend against opposition. But for the past several years, I will also say that God has been working on me. He's been teaching me some things. He's been telling me to slow down, to stop. More than that, to open my eyes and my ears, to be fully present in each and every moment as much as possible so I can see God and hear God and be a part of what God is doing. Occasionally when I get home at the end of the day and I sit down with my wonderful wife and we have a bite to eat, she will ask me this question. How did you see God today? Sometimes, I mean, it's not every night, but sometimes I know it's coming. She'll say, how did you see God today? And I'll go, uh, uh, well, do you not know what I do? I, I am a minister. My office is in a church building. I have God's book on my desk. I'm talking about God to people all the time. That's not what she means, though. And I know what she means. How did you pause and be mindful enough and fully present enough to see God in conversations and in interactions and in moments and scriptures in times of prayer? And I know when she asks me that and I pause or I kind of struggle to come up with an answer, that that's probably God's way of saying, hey, you need to stop. You need to open your eyes. You need to open your ears. It's a good reminder to me. Maybe it's a good reminder to you. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Will you consider a different pace? If we can encourage you, help you do that, we'd be glad to. I don't, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe praying for you, maybe some accountability. I don't know. Just encouragement to do it. If we can pray for you today, we will certainly do that. In fact, a couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor. It's a room right behind me. You can go there when, in just a moment, and they will encourage you and pray for you, lift you up. Or you can come down to the front, and we'll do the same thing here. Maybe today you're ready to make that decision, that 
that eternal decision. A decision that doesn't just impact your life here, it impacts your eternal destiny. And that is the decision to put Christ on in baptism. To declare in front of others that you believe Jesus is the Son of God. And through that faith, to be baptized into Christ, clothed with Christ, raised to live as a new creation with a new identity and a new purpose that the world, the world doesn't get to determine who you are and what your life's about. God wired that into your spiritual DNA. You belong to him. If that's a decision you're ready to make this morning, we want to celebrate with you and we want to help you. We invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand. Be with me, Lord, I cannot.